Let's go, Brandon. Da, 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 da. I can't wait till my shirt gets here. It's so funny because it was the Washington Post too. Right. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, maybe. Okay, we're in First uh, Kings chapter twelve. And we're actually at what is called an epoch. And an epoch is basically a shift or a change that's so significant that history is forever on a different course. You could say that 9-11 was an epoch for America, uh, the Civil War, the Revolutionary War, uh, there, throughout history and even our own lives. You know, like when I got married, uh, my whole life took a different tra you know, trajectory, um, even got a new name. So uh, having Kent. So there are major, major shifts, and some epochs are good, some epochs are not so great. We're about to look at one that's not great because it literally, like I think it was me and Dorina when we were talking over one of the lunches or dinners uh, this weekend. Um, yeah, we were having a wonderful conversation. It just went, oh, here it is. That a, a nation can literally destroy itself in a generation. I mean, it doesn't take long. And that's why it's so important that parents raise up their children in the history, in the testimonies of God, in the Word, and what it looks like to be a good uh, citizen in their country, but also uh, a born-again, spirit-filled power uh, and word type kingdom citizen as well because it's the next generation that will either save a country or take a country down and we're actually seeing that and so hopefully with the pushback that we've seen in the different uh, states on Tuesday uh, parents definitely don't like to be told what they can teach their children so that's a good sign well here we have a situation of several decisions mindsets and behavioral patterns that passed now to Solomon's son and actually created a culture of division, okay? And, uh, and then from this point on, guys, there's really just uh, one bad king after another, after another, and then you have Josiah and then another bad king and you have um, uh, Hezekiah and a bad king. I mean, it's just, you only have like times where you've got a good king, but they, they're never full out. Or they're full out, but they allow what they've done in the Lord to make them prideful. And the key is to be full out and stay humble. That's the key. And uh, so now this is pre-Christ, you know, and there wasn't yet an answer to the, the, the fallen state of man, but the ability to love him and obey him was always present. We see that in Moses, Joseph, Joshua, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and more. Um, but... They could also choose idolatry and sin, but they weren't helpless like, you know, some people might lead you to believe. Okay, now what I want to look into is a couple characters. Ah, got my paper messed up. Hang on. Good grief. Okay. The first character we're going to look at is Jeroboam. And I'm going to give you some background on him, and then we're going to look at Rehoboam, which is the son of Solomon. So Jeroboam was a servant of King Solomon. He was efficient, 
He was energetic. He was loyal to the king. And the king noticed these characteristics, these attributes, and he assigned him as a supervisor of the Ephraimite workforce. So the, this is a tribe of Ephraim. And uh, Jeroboam, obviously, is from Ephraim's tribe. So it seemed like a perfect fit. Under his supervision, Jeroboam helped rebuild an important section of Jerusalem's defenses. The Septuagint version, version or the Greek version of the Old Testament tells us that Jeroboam fails to mention his father and he identifies his mother as Sarira. I guess that's how you say her name. She was a harlot. And so this was probably um, based on, since Jer you know, Jeroboam rebelled against the Davidic line, he created a lot of trouble for the tribes. But it shows you that he's without father, or he fails to mention his father, and more than likely he was the child of a prostitute. Okay? So you can imagine... The emotional wounding there. All right. The forced labor of the house of Joseph is sebel in the Hebrew, and it refers to, quote, temporary work forces that were located in the tribal territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph. Now, this is where Jacob crossed his hands and he elevated the secondborn Ephraim above Manasseh which was the firstborn. And it's where the um, tabernacle of Moses dwelt as well as in that tribe. Now, a sebel is different from a masobed, which is a forced levy of slaves. It's permanent and it's institutionalized like we see in the enslavement of several of the ites at the beginning of Solomon's term, okay? So we got a lot of ites that he made as slaves, like we would consider uh, the slavery that we had in this country years ago. Um, and But when it comes to the sebel, Jeroboam witnessed, for some reason, the oppressive policies of Solomon toward the northern tribes. And it was heavy and an equitable taxation, as well um, as, you know, of course, the forced slavery that he saw. So some sources say that Solomon giving some of the northern towns to King Hiram was the last straw that precipitated Jeroboam's revolt. Now, what are we doing by studying the ways of the kings? We are, number one, looking for cracks in the foundation to make sure we don't have cracks in our foundation, right? The other thing we're doing is looking at the good things that they did. It's studying his story so you don't repeat the mistakes of it, right? And uh, so we've got a... A, a supervisor in Solomon's force that has no dad and was a prostitute's son. He is of the, the tribe of Ephraim and he seizes the unjust rule of Solomon. Okay? So those right there are already cracks. Jeroboam, and this is from uh, history, what I'm reading to you. Jeroboam participated in a military coup against Solomon, which fell. However, what did we decide? How did we pronounce his name? A-H-I-J-A-H? Ahijah? Ahijah, maybe? Ahijah met Jeroboam outside, huh? What? I think it's y'all. A-J. 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 
met Jeru Jeroboam outside Jerusalem, and we read that not last week, several weeks ago. He grabbed his new outer garment, he tore it into 12 pieces, and he gave 10 to Jeroboam, and he told him that he'd have all the tribes but Judah and one other, which later was Benjamin, okay, so that came under Rehoboam, and quote, he could reign over all that his soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. He also, uh, he was also given the same admonition, admon admonition to keep God's commands and statutes like David did, and if he did, God would build him a sure house. Now, this is at the time where you have Solomon is now having trouble. He had peace. There was no adversary. There was no effect of fatherlessness in the kingdom, according to 1 Kings chapter 5. And then he allows uh, the women that he married out of treaty, out of love, 900 total plus concubines, which were basically sex slaves. In case you all didn't know that. Um, all of those women began to turn his heart to worshiping other gods. God was not happy about it. Therefore, the protection began to lift, and he started having trouble around him and in his own kingdom. So after this prophetic word, Jeroboam fled to Egypt. At the time, Shishak, is that a funny name? <laughs> Shishak, he was the king of Egypt, and he gave him asylum. One scholar named Halpern has suggested that Jeroboam was courting Shishak because relations between Solomon and Egypt became antagonistic under Shishak's 22nd dynasty. It's there that I'm sure he observed a lot of idolatry, including the worship of Pharaoh as a god. So he wanted that, okay? And, uh, and that may be what later influenced his decisions. He remained in Egypt until Solomon died. Uh, the people of God were never to go to Egypt again after they left. So the fact that Jeroboam picked Egypt to go to already tells you the condition of his heart. It also shows that if we get identity, protection, and provision from our fathers, and Jeroboam did not have one, then you will see his decisions are based out of fatherlessness. Okay, so will the Antichrist. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting, like these are like a paradigm, uh, a parallel, I guess you would say. Okay, now it's at this point in the story that Rehoboam and Jeroboam face off. And if Rehoboam had used even a quarter of the wisdom that had been given to his father, things would have turned out very, very differently. Um, because I believe most prophecy is conditional. There's some prophecy that's going to happen no matter what we do, like Jesus coming. But most prophecy is conditional. So when you get a prophecy, especially a negative one, you don't want to immediately take it as a promise, no. right? You want to be like, all right, Lord, what is the solution? Obviously, it's in Christ because you always send the solution before there's a problem. So what's the solution to shift this negative prophecy, okay? All right, so we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 5 in uh, 1 Kings 12. It says, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all of Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of uh, Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt where he had fled, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, 
And they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came, and they said to him, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we're going to serve you. Now this is good. This is noble. Jeroboam saying, hey, we don't want a division in the kingdom. So if you will release the tax burden, make it fair, like it's on everybody else, and release the heavy workload, we're happy serving you. Okay? So he told them, he said, well, go away for three days and then come back to me. And the people went away. So he's got to make his decision. Okay. So obviously some time has passed here. And we've got Jeroboam trying to do a treaty. Uh, scholars don't agree on whether Jeroboam participated in the assembly at Shechem or whether he's made king later when negotiations broke down. But either way, the assembly wasn't just to crown him. Some of the tribes wanted changes. It's also apparent from this that Jeroboam, even though he had been gone for however long, was still their leader. Kind of makes me wonder if maybe he had some lines of communication open, kind of like Kerry and the Obama shadow government kept lines of communication open to undermine the Trump presidency. It sounds like he probably had some contacts still in Israel that he was talking to. Okay, so then it says in verse 6 that King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon his father while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said, Well, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Now this is a very interesting principle, and this is one that all leaders need to understand. You never outgrow being a servant. The longer you're a leader, the more servant-like you should be. You don't need to have a power trip. You don't need to have a you know, parking space. You don't need to have you know, all this stuff, all the things that most have. In fact, Jesus said, wherever you're at, take the back seat. You know, if they offer you the seat of honor, you can move to that seat. Otherwise, you just sit wherever you can find a seat. You know, so being a servant, even Jesus said, when they asked him, you know, hey, we want to serve with you. We want to sit on, you know, thrones next to you, blah, blah. He's like, you don't know what you're asking, number one. Number two, the way to be first in the kingdom is to be a servant. So it's already here. This is wisdom. But he didn't have ears to hear. He abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said, Lighten the yoke that your father put upon us? Okay. They basically say, what you need to do is tell them, your father made our yoke heavy, uh, but you lighten it for us. My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Dumb. Dumb, 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 dumb. <laughs> okay. Notice the, the twist there. Rehoboam listened to his buddies. We have a lot of that crap going on right now. You notice that? We've got the sign of a judgment on a nation are wicked and immature leaders. 
So you've got wicked and immature leaders right here. The old guard, of which younger people are supposed to listen to, uh, is now being cast aside, and he's now going with his buddies. They grew up and probably they all played, you know, swords and fought together and, you know, imagine what it'd be like when he took over the kingdom and all this. And so their loyalty to their friend caused them to give an answer that cost him. So your loyalty to someone should never, ever trump your love of God. Well, and they knew him. They grew up with him. And they probably knew what he really wanted to do. And that's, mm -hmm. so that's what they yes, advise him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really important not to have yes men around you. Uh, because, like you've got, like that lady was telling us this weekend, John Piper um, said that taking the vaccine, which has aborted fetal tissue, um, is... Uh, the Christian thing to do. If John Piper had leaders around him, they would be like, no, actually we don't need to be saying that kind of stuff because this is the only vaccine that has aborted fetal tissue in it uh, that we've had in our history. So we should not be taking aborted fetal tissue into our bodies. What was it? The Baptist, Southern Baptist the Theological Baptist. Seminary Theological Ethicist. Yeah, said that some amount of time has passed to where oh, yeah. now the aborted fetal tissue has been cleansed and you can still take it's the no vaccine. Because of the time that has passed. Oh, I didn't know there's an expiration date for sin. Yeah. These people are dumber than a sack full of hammers. Yeah. And so you've got this situation where Rehoboam, is, he needed godly leaders around him. He had them and he didn't listen to them. And so the results were pretty bad. Now, this passage tells us a lot, but let me fill in some of the blanks. Okay, so Solomon had 900 women in his harem. One of those 900 was Nama, the mother of Rehoboam, and she was also an Ammonitess. Now, let's figure out what exactly that is. <laughs> Ammonites were the result of the incestuous relationship between Lot and his younger daughter, which produced Ben-Ami. Throughout Israel's history, the Ammonites opposed them repeatedly, but they were left alone because God had given them the land they were on uh, to Lot when he and Abram separated. They were also destroying the giants, and God helped them do that, so he didn't want them to get rid of them like he did other nations that had giants. It does appear that later the Israelites took half their land. In 1 Kings 11.5, we see that Solomon began worshiping Molech, or Milcom. That's the same god, okay? The god of the Ammonites. Milcom required cultic child sacrifice, or abortion. Solomon participated in such activities, or at the very least, he looked the other way. I believe he participated because it says that his heart turned away from God to worship these other gods. Okay, so what you have is in this one family unit out of 900 is not only the acceptance, but the practice of idolatry of Molech. Rehoboam would have seen this, and it's more than likely that a real relationship with his father Solomon would have been difficult in such a large harem as well as his duties as a king. It does, however, appear that he had plenty of time to worship false gods. 
So either way, Rehoboam, he's of an incestuous bloodline that does not like Israelites, even though he's half. So he's a half-breed. So what do you think that did? He probably got made fun of. Do you see how if you don't deal with your past, all of a sudden it becomes your present? Mm -hmm. And the problem is your present then affects everyone that's present with you. Well, that's Haman. He came from one of the, I don't remember which line, but it was one that they had gone in there and killed almost all of them. Yeah. And then he had such bitterness. Yeah. You know. We've got the whole Middle East dynamic and dilemma is because of Abram sleeping with Hagar. Yeah. You know, instead of trusting God. And then you've got Doag, remember him, the Edomite, that gossiped about David and an entire village was wiped out? I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You have to deal with your stuff. Because if you don't deal with your stuff, all of a sudden that becomes your filter. Well, and I think we need to realize that, because I think of the, most people think, my, my opinion, my decision, my mm -hmm. life. But it's not just your life. Mm -mm. It's your family's life. It's your community's life. It's, you know, yeah. it, we see this from the examples that it radiates out. It doesn't just affect one life, yeah. one opinion, one everything. It yeah. affects, it, it just radiates out, like I said, that little, um, the stone in the lake, and it radiates the ripples. out. And the ripples. So. And the ripples are more powerful, those closest yeah. to the stone, right? And then as they go, they begin to lessen. But, like, all you have to do is go to the gas pump mm -hmm. and understand this principle. Yeah. The president may not live in my house, but he's dang sure gotten in my pocketbook. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay? So it's the same thing. And so like the lady, Chris Ann Hall, was saying, we all have a liberty bubble. Because there's a difference between liberty and freedom. You're free to do whatever. But not all of it's beneficial. So if you kill someone, you're free to do that, but you'll probably go to jail. That was the example she used. Liberty is self-government. And it's that I'm going to live within my liberty bubble. And then if I bump into your liberty bubble, oops, you know, you got you know, you to adjust. Your rights cannot violate other people's rights. And so inalienable rights, nothing from the Constitution or man. So here we have this situation where both of them, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, are making decisions based on the past. And I always tell my clients, you're not dealing with a present person. You're dealing with their past, their present hopes and dreams, or hopes and expectations, and their future dreams. That's what you're dealing with. And if you understand that, then your communication with them can go a lot better. Okay, so we've got compromise, we've got hypocrisy. Solomon is a king of a nation formed by God, and yet Rehoboam witnesses him worshiping his mother's God. You also have a sense of fatherlessness, and I say this because of the dishonor displayed to Solomon's advisors and the fact that he immediately turned to those he had grown up with. He found his family and his friends, just like gangbangers, and he trusted them more than his fathers. And I'm sure being a new leader, he wanted to make sure they understood who was the new sheriff in town. Right? So they give, you know, he gathers everybody. And just so you know, 
The immature want power and they breathe threats and they use intimidation and bullying to try to get you to do what they want you to do. All right, now in verse 12, it says, So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly, and forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him, he spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. I mean, he's such a weak person. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke to AJ, or by AJ, to Shilonite, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Okay, this is where things get dicey. We're going to dive into some theology really quick. <clears throat> did y'all notice the phrase, he did not listen, for it was a turn of affairs. There's the epoch. It was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word. Okay, I, I want to address this because it might seem, in Calvinists, this is where they got jacked up, that Rehoboam had no choice that he was a puppet, a pawn in Obama's hands. Oh, I'm sorry, God's hands. And, uh, and that's not the case, okay? So I'm going to break it down to you and try not get, to get too technical um, with the Greek and the, the Hebrew. Okay, the best example of this, of what I'm about to uh, teach you guys, is in Romans 9, uh, 17. So we're going to go uh, over there, Romans 9, 17. And it says, For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. Okay, the word or the phrase raised up is uh, exegero, E-X-E-G-E-I-R-O. And it means to arouse or to raise up. In the Hebrew, it means cause thee to stand, allow to appear, bring forward on the stage of events. Okay, that's going to be important. Because it's not that he put them in power just to show his power. It's that he was provoked to resist. Okay? And there's a reason Pharaoh was provoked to resist, which we'll get to. Uh, proclaimed. Uh, where it says, so that my name may be proclaimed. That word means to announce everywhere, publish abroad. So we know that the story of the Exodus is still being proclaimed to this day. And the divine intervention is realized. So uh, Rahab helped the Israelites because she heard what God had done in Egypt. Okay? So his name was proclaimed. Some responded well, some didn't. Pharaoh was an avowed, open adversary of God who ordered the genocide of all male Jewish babies. That wasn't God. He was beyond reasoning with, plus... Certain events, including the birth of Moses, were bringing prophetic promises to a head. Now, the word harden means to render obstinate and stubborn. One scholar, Vincent, says this. 
Three words are used in the Hebrew to describe the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. The one which occurs most frequently properly means to be strong and therefore represents the hardness as full hardiness, an infatuated insensibility to danger. In other words, Pharaoh, who viewed himself as a god, just picked a fist fight with God. And because of his nar narcissism and probably his psychopathy, he had no idea he was going to lose, and he had no idea of the danger that he was in. Okay? The word is also used in a positive sense, hardens not merely permits to become hard. In Exodus, the hardening is represented as self-produced in 8, 15, and 32, and 9, 34, and as produced by God, and you can see the scripture references there. Paul here chooses the latter representation. We're not, we are not to understand the latter instance that God arbitrarily and directly forced upon Pharaoh an obstinate and stubborn resistance to himself. Evil cannot be laid at the door of God. God not only does not solicit a sinner to do evil, according to James 1.13, but he also does not cause man to do evil. When man does wrong, that wrong comes from his own totally depraved nature. Therefore, when Pharaoh acted in stubborn rebellion against God, all of that rebellion came as a result of his own depravity, not any directly from God. So when God said to harden Pharaoh's heart, it is that he would be demanding the release of Israel He'd confront them with an issue that the Pharaoh did not want to meet. So it's like the case of a naughty boy whose violent temper is incited to greater effort by the demand of his mother that he behave himself. In other words, when God's like, you let my people go, he's like, I ain't letting your people go. And he began to punish God's people for it. That was Pharaoh's doing. When Paul says, whom he will, he hardens, will is Thelo to be resolved, to determine, and to purpose. Vincent says that the word used here is in the sense of a decree. God's resolve to use Pharaoh as an example of his sovereignty issued in a decree that he be so used. In other words, Pharaoh was an incorrigible, and God simply used him as he found him to demonstrate his power to the human race in the last analysis, an act of mercy to the larger number, while also an act of per perfect justice to Pharaoh, for God's demands were just. Okay, to sum it up, I put it in bold. Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. He was already an adversary to God through his treatment of God's people. When God confronted him through his spokesman with the decree, which is legal when it comes from the God of the universe, to let his people go, Pharaoh hardened his heart, but at some point in the dialogue, his refusal to bend to God's will resulted in God resolving to use Pharaoh as an example. That when he says he's going to do something, he will do it. Therefore, you either get out of his way, or what you are possessing so tightly, Democrats, will be destroyed in your hands. Is that interesting? So at some point in the interaction with Pharaoh, God resolved, okay, now you're a problem, and so I'm going to get rid of you. 
and I'm going to get rid of you in a spectacular fashion where Egypt will never, ever, ever again, even however many years later, be the superpower. Uh, so here we have Rehoboam. So the prophecy given by A.J. to Jeroboam was conditional. If Rehoboam would have listened to the elder, you know, elders, basically, that wouldn't have happened. But instead, he hardened his heart. God resolved, you're going to harden your heart. When you harden your heart, I'm going to give ten kingdoms to Jeroboam. Does that make sense? Because I don't want people to think that God made Rehoboam like he didn't have any choice. Rehoboam wasn't like David nor Solomon when he first started his ring. Ring? Reign. And his ring. His gang ring. <laughs> Mafia. He wasn't loyal to God. He didn't serve him. And when the time came for him to make the right decision, it was not in him. Therefore, God used his heart condition to fulfill his word to Jeroboam. The loss of the kingdom was not God's fault. He did everything he could to set the kings up for success. Their choices led to the consequences, and he did not tempt them either. Evil always falls squarely on our shoulders. Now, does that make some sense? Does that explain some things? When you see phrases like that, you have to interpret those phrases on the original language, the Hebrew, get some scholarly resources, because it's against God's nature to tempt people. So you either believe the New Testament, or you have to think, well, it doesn't make any sense. God does tempt people to evil. you know. And, and before you know it, you've got these stupid doctrines that God's killing children because he needs a flower in his garden. And the car wreck was you know, God to teach you a lesson. And you got sick because of this or that. He uses his word to discipline. And if anything happens to us, typically there's something there that we've opened the door to. And it can be something as simple as not believing that you can be untouchable. You know what I mean? It's very, very important to build your faith in that. What was I saying I didn't have faith for? Do you remember? Um, there was something that, you know, like when God first tells me to do something, I'm like, <laughs> well, the millionaire thing, but I thought there was something else that it was like, when God keeps repeating something to you, you, you don't probably have it. That's why he keeps saying it. Especially identity. And so there's certain things where your faith has to join up. So when he comes and says to you something and you know you don't have faith, you want to get faith before you need it. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to build up your faith. You want to get in the Word. You want to read what it sa <coughs> says. Because when he says, hey, this is who you are, this is what I need you to do, and this is what the Word says... He's telling you now because in your future there is a circumstance that you're going to face that you better have done the work here because when you get to the giant, it may cut off your head, right? So that's why it's so important to pay attention to what he's saying. Well, I think it was interesting because I thought um, when um, he's asking his advisors, mm -hmm. okay, and the you know, AOC, when they asked her this past week about the Democrats losing, 
-hmm. And what was her response? You heard what her response was. Well, I try not to listen to her, but I'm sure it's something to the line of we're going to go full steam ahead and we weren't far left enough. It was exactly. Mm -hmm. They weren't far left enough. Well, isn't that what he's wow. right mm -hmm. here? What he's doing? And I'm so happy. Please, <laughs> yeah. Democrats, go farther. Mm -hmm. Because that will cost them everything. Well, and that's you know what, what, and right that's what he did. What he did. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it wasn't like... Oh, I'm going to stay in the middle mm -hmm. and see which way the wind's blowing mm -hmm. even. Mm -mm. What he did was just commit. Uh, do you think we're really hard? We're going to get harder. Mm -hmm. And I see that with the AOC. I love it. She's mm -hmm. like, okay, you think left? Oh, the reason we lost, we weren't left enough. I know. And then when Fox <laughs> like points it out, I'm like, shh. <laughs> but you don't but, let them to get it. Don't but I think it's I think it's blindness. God has let them oh, be blind so to that. So I don't think we have to worry because I think somebody could slap her upside the head and say, you know, dumb. She yeah. actually believes uh -huh. she's what's called a useful idiot. Uh, and that I'm, that's not an insult. It's literally in yeah. Solinsky's book. And I'm I'm very happy about that. Huh. Yes. But that just brought she's that up. <laughs> that that's a that's a modern day example it is. because you're sitting here saying couldn't he see that right just common sense mm -hmm. couldn't he see that if you have somebody coming up and say hey we have these concerns mm -hmm. we have these gripes and you know you'd think okay maybe the strategy before Let's, was yeah. you know we diffuse need, it but but it's the same strategy as they've got today. If you, if you think it's hard, let's make it harder. It's, it's um, political suicide and it's pride. If you look at how long we negotiated with Britain mm -hmm. to let us become our own nation, his obstinacy, the king's obstinacy and his pride just kept making it. He just literally kept rushing himself to judgment from the Lord. And, and that's exactly what happened. And Britain's never been the same either. It was from that point on, their glory began to so I thought, vanish. Yeah, that's a good modern day example. Example. It is. It's a very good example. And I wish Fox would quit pointing it out. Because some people, they might get it. You know, let's let them self-destruct, please. Okay. So, in verse 16, when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, What portion do we have with David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Turn your tents, O Israel. Look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents. Um, but Jer or Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster master over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king. There was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. And of course, you know, Benjamin later, which is sad. So the biggest lesson to take from this story, and this is important, is that we all have moments in our story when the decision we make can significantly impact us, our future, our children, and their future, even those we could have impacted had we made a different decision. And a lot of times you don't see it. A lot of times you don't know. That's why it's very important to ask God to give you discernment and wisdom to see what you cannot see 
because a lot of times we have no idea. The key is to prepare our hearts before the test by presence-based worship and word, a relationship with him. David was overlooked and forgotten. He spent his time out in the fields with a few sheep, killing bears and killing lions, writing songs, worshiping, presence-based worship. That is what kept him safe. And even when he uh, sinned with Bathsheba and it took him a year to figure it out, he had a, a heart that repented because of presence-based relationship, right? That is the key to a successful leader. So it's the idea of David preparing Solomon's heart to ask for wisdom. You want to think generationally. So think of Hezekiah, and we'll get to him. But his cracks and his foundation led to him bragging and displaying all of Israel's wealth to Babylon and making the nation a target. But as long as he wasn't affected, he was fine. So it's real easy to cling to God when things are tough or you're in the middle of a trial. A true test is when things are blessed beyond what you could have ever imagined, and yet you still cling to Him and need Him, and you recognize you need Him even more than in the middle of trial or tribulation. Unfortunately, Rehoboam wasn't trained. So here's the result. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors, to fight against the house of Israel, to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to, <clears throat> to the rest of the people, Thus says the Lord, You shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man go home, because this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord, and they went home again according to the word of the Lord. Thank goodness. Because if... They would have gone against the word of the Lord. It might have wiped out the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin was already small because mm -hmm. of the whole, you know, concubine deal. So God was preserving them because, number one, Jesus would come from the tribe of Judah. <coughs> so it would have been a little bit difficult to have the Messiah born if there was no tribe of Judah. So thank goodness they listened. But to me, this is just such a great lesson in you know, immaturity, a wicked leader, judgment of a nation, that the judgment that came upon the nation was because of the king's decisions. That's what's sad. The people didn't ask for that, but they're kings. So, in our country, it's we the people. And that makes me very happy because we can shift things. But it's also a lesson on a lack of identity a lack of, you know, an idea of protection and provision from that fatherhood. Both of their mistakes, both of these kings, their mistakes was those three things. And we'll find out even more with Jeroboam. But do y'all have anything to add or anything else you want to share? I do. I'm not going to stand that. I've got a picture of, of a tree being uprooted and when it first starts, there's popping and cracking because it's starting to... Uh, you know, uproot itself, and yeah. uh, then branches start breaking off. Yeah. And then, um, but after that, and when enough roots are broken, then the whole tree topples. And I, I just think that's the time we're in now. Yeah. Yeah. We're getting some popping and cracking going on. <laughs>
But once it goes, I think it's going to go like dominoes. I do too. I do too. Is there something you want to share, Grant? Uh, you were playing something. And we're going to be saying, Kimber. Okay. <laughs> All right. Do you have anything, Richard? Any thoughts? Well, that's where the two nations came from. If you read about the Old Testament, you get confused what it's talking about. The northern nation, the southern nation, and you start getting mixed up. What does all this really mean? Yeah. And it's really quite clear what it means. That's where the two nations came from. And it's almost like you're watching, like when you read Kings and the Chronicles, you're watching two strains of kings, and it can get confusing. And another thing that reminds me, when the Scripture says a house divided against itself cannot stand. Yep. Well, that's exactly what happened. It didn't yeah. stay as one house. Yeah. It separated into two nations. Yeah. Well, I think we see throughout the Bible, there's always one and another. It could be Esau, you know, and Jacob. It could be the Cain and Abel. If, but there's always that one that represents the good and represents the bad. There's Where two lines, two seats. Two lines. Yep, two seats. The so seat of the enemy and God. Well, and honestly, I think we're that way even in the church today. I think we are split into those that, I want to say, uh, put God as an afterthought, a P.S. in their church service, and those that make him first and foremost. The sons of Zion and the sons of Greece. And another thing is that no man put asunder in terms of marriage. Yeah. That marriage got broke up, but it wasn't God's purposely will to have it done. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was the ways of men that did it. Yeah. But the restoration of the tribes is coming. Yeah, it is. And they will be brought back together. Richard, I don't see you for like two Fridays and two Sundays and you have no beard. Where'd your beard go? <laughs> what happened? I turned my back. Sandwich <laughs> face. <laughs> 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 I'm like, wait a minute. Something's different on his face. Sandwich bag has the remnants. All right. Well, let's pray over our uh, tithes and offerings. And so, Father, we thank you so much uh, for the ability to gain wealth to the dismay and irritation of the enemy, and that we can profess our loyalty loyalty to you only and solely as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, by giving to you a portion of that. So we thank you so much, Father, that you give us the ability to gain wealth so that we can confirm your covenant in the earth, and we can show, show that we are loyal to you. And, and we ask, Father, that Jesus receive that offering this morning as a king, and we also thank you for the lessons this morning, we all have blind spots, Father. We all have those areas that we don't see. And it takes all of us as a family, and it takes us hearing what you're saying, no matter the package. It takes hearing what you're saying and pausing and say, Okay, Father, is there any truth to this? How do we want to fix this situation? And cooperating with you. And so we give you this morning, I'm sure everyone in this room agrees, full permission to expose blind spots, to expose areas of weakness, because every time you expose an area of weakness, with that exposure comes the power to transform. Your discipline, and you're coming to us and saying, hey, I don't like this, or you're this person, you're not that person, you're this person now. All of those things are your mercy and your kindness. 
And so we thank you for that, Father. And we want to be a people that takes every word you say seriously. We don't want you to tell us stuff and then we just kind of dismiss it like it's a fly buzzing around or we don't give it the time to do it. Jesus said that what you pour into something, you get that back. And so we want to be people that are serious and diligent in those times where you're saying what you're saying in that moment that is important for our future. We want to do what we need to do before we need to do it. And Father, I ask also that we do it with joy. Because sometimes when we get in the fixed mode, all of a sudden we feel like we have to do this and do that and uh, we're not going to do this anymore and I'm only going to do this. And we get into this weird to-do list and this weird um, uh, reliance on our own strength. Instead, it should be a complete, utter reliance on the Holy Spirit's work on the inside of us through the Word, a joyful transformation into the image of Christ. So I pray, Father, we don't become performance-based in any correction, but instead we always rely on the power of the Holy Spirit who guides us to all truth. So we give you honor for that this morning. We give you glory. And Father, you know everything that's in my head and my heart right now to do. I ask, Father, that you give all of us in this room wisdom to execute the plans that you have imparted and everybody being in their role, no forced roles, no roles that they are not uh, called to do, but every single person in this room has a role in those plans and what you've called us to do as a people. And so I ask that you help us do it. I ask you help us to recognize any snakes in the grass, any wolves in sheep clothing, and quite frankly, any idiots that are not going to know what they're doing and they're going to cause problems. And so I pray, Father, that you help us recognize those who are for you, those who are against you, and that we may be shrewd and wise. In Jesus' name, amen.